Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Uh, I thought my stuff was not good at all. Like... <laughs> I threw low 90s. I didn't really know how to throw a breaking ball. And it just was, I knew how hard hitting was. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's From Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. On today's episode, we are talking to Jeff Malm, a fifth-round pick from the Rays in the 2009 draft, and a guy who both hit and pitched professionally. I really enjoyed my time talking to Jeff, who gave me a really measured look at what went right and what didn't in his professional career. Big takeaway is for prep prospects, it is almost impossible to be fully prepared for professional baseball. Jeff says as much himself, because if anyone was prepared, it was Jeff. He spent his prep days on two Team USA teams, including splitting time with Eric Hosmer at first base on his first one, and a loaded Bishop Gorman High School team in Las Vegas. Right away for Jeff, pro ball was a struggle. He was stuck in the Appy League a few states away from home and struggling for the first time in his life in baseball. Jeff eventually righted the ship, but then had ups and downs as he moved throughout the system before finally being asked by multiple organizations to convert to the mound. Unfortunately for Jeff, he played a bit before the current open-mindedness to two-way guys became all the rage, and he gets into life on the bump when all he really wanted to do was hit. It was a really fun episode, enjoyed it immensely, hope everyone else enjoys it, really appreciate that Jeff took the time to uh, to walk us through his career. Episodes of From Phenom of the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcast. And if you're a Spotify podcast user, go up five-star rating there as well as Spotify is now doing podcast ratings. That would be greatly appreciated. 
Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Top 10 lists are rolling out, ramping up for college baseball season. Thank God. Uh, Teddy and Joe are handling that on the BA College Pod. It is always a good time to subscribe to Baseball America. Also, the Prospect Handbook is now available to be ordered, so that's great news. So there's there's something for everyone at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, with that, let's talk to Jeff Mom. All right, joining in for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, he was a fifth-round pick of the Rays in the 2009 draft out of Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, former first baseman and left-handed pitcher Jeff Malm. Jeff, thanks so much for joining From Phenom to the Farm. Yeah, no problem, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Of course, yeah. I've been looking forward to this. Um, want to, to jump right into it, really. When did you first realize that you had a future at the next level in baseball, whether that be Division One or Pro Ball? Uh, I think probably pretty early on in high school, um, I was definitely bigger for like a freshman in high school uh, size and all that. I know that matters early on. Um, and I, I played, played pretty much all the sports growing up until high school and going to Gorman. I knew that we were on the cusp of having a really special baseball program there. Uh, I knew like the foundation was in place. Uh, there were some really good guys ahead of me. And I think just getting there, getting into that program, going through the daily routines there, and being around other really, really good players kind of made a little bit of sense to me. Like, okay, you can do this at the next level. Um, obviously, the first step was let's get to a D1 school. That would be goal number one and then go from there. What is the culture like when your high school team almost resembles a, a minor league team? Just one article in the Las Vegas Sun from preseason of your senior year. It focuses mainly on you, but also name drops Johnny Field, Tyler Wagner, Joey Rickard, and then a freshman named Joey Gallo. Like, what is it like when that culture is, it's not just like, hey, we're a pretty good high school team. It's like, hey, most of these guys are going somewhere after this to play significant baseball. Right. Yeah, I think that the year before, my junior year in 2008, I believe we had 11 total future pros on that roster. So we had guys like on the bench, which in high school is pretty unheard of. I mean, just ridiculous talent. And, and it wasn't just Gorman. Like the Las Vegas Valley, as everyone knows, like there were so many, so there many was something players. in the water at that yeah. point. Yeah, there was like a, there was like a five to ten year span where it was just. I mean, you had guys like Tommy Pham that people don't even really mention when they associate Vegas with the MLB, right? They they talk about Harper and Bryant and Gallo, and it's like Tommy Pham has been doing this for, you know, he's going on fifteen years as a pro or something like that. Um, all the Gorman guys. Um, Don Roach, Paul Seawald, Taylor Cole, all the guys you had already mentioned, uh, so many other guys that went on to play D1 baseball in the Valley. And just like I said, just being around really good players was was a part of it. Um, having just constant great competition was a part of it. And then our program, it wasn't always that way. When I first got there as a freshman, it was, like I said, a little more up and coming. Um, knew there was some foundation there knew there was really talented players there. Our coaching staff was awesome. They all played pro ball. Um, our pitching coach got to the big leagues. And so our practices modeled um, some of what you eventually got a taste of in pro ball. Like every, every practice was a grind. Every day was a grind. We were doing all the same team defenses and the routines that I would later do in, you know, spring training every day. So just that whole, uh, process just kind of built everything together. 
So in addition to all that talent you're playing with in high school, you do two years on the U.S. Junior National Team. Your first time you're younger. A lot of the, a lot of the guys on the team are older. Um, it's obviously the the national team is always you know a who's who of high draft picks, all Americans, big D one players, and stuff like that. But you, your first year, you essentially get to stack up next to Eric Hosmer. You're both left-handed, you know, hitting, throwing first baseman. Um, you see him go then go third overall get all the money in the world you've kind of you've been able to you know stack yourself up against that um you know what runs through your brain as far as how you match up when you see what you know came of him in the draft and you you know just spent the whole summer playing with that guy yeah i mean it's exciting uh obviously as a kid you think of things a little differently as as, as i do now as a, a 31 year old former player um but yeah, I mean, same thing. You're, you're just surrounded by so many great players and it, it gives you a little bit of extra confidence just knowing, okay, these guys are great. Uh, I know how talented they are. I may not have as much raw talent as some of them, but I can compete on the same field as them. Um, that's really where most of it kind of progressed from. I know we got back to school after Hosmer got drafted and uh, a bunch of my buddies were like, oh man, how are you going to respond now? Like, this guy, this guy went two overall. He got six million. Like, you got to, you got to top yeah. it. Yeah, and I'm like, ah, maybe we'll see. Um, but again, you know, you're a high school kid. You don't really know. Um, and then you look back later, and it's like, all right, we took, we took some different routes. Like, not exactly the same uh, end game between the two of us. But uh, he was, he was a great guy to be around then, especially you know, being a year older than me. I could kind of just knock things off when we're, we're taking ground balls or doing defensive stuff, just chatting it up. And, you know, obviously a great power hitter as a prep and turned into a great major league hitter. So a lot of those conversations stuck with me and just the other guys on the team. Uh, like I said, so much talent, so many, so many great players. Yeah. So on your first team an, an alumnus of that team uh, was JP Ramirez, who I believe was the second episode of this podcast. And in high school, he was the best, best player I ever played against. I ever saw. And there was something like just different about a guy like that. When you all converge onto Team USA, is there anyone with all that talent? Is there anyone that like comes to mind? Is even with all those guys who are good, is there anyone who's like that dude was just different? That dude was just a step above. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it it's it's so weird being there um, because you see these guys day in and day out. And like I said, you get a first glimpse of some of these guys and some of them are so, so talented, the raw talent off the charts. Um, and then the more time you spend with them and you see guys succeed, you see guys struggle. It's like, all right, we're, we're all the same. We don't have the same talent, but you know, these are players playing a really hard baseball game. You know, um, it's a hard game to succeed in. Um, and I guess honestly, probably like if you were to say raw talent, like those, especially the first couple of days, like hitting BP and stuff, it had to be Hosmer. Um, there were other guys that were like really, really good players that they had nice big league careers. I mean, Ryan Weber's still pitching. Uh, and he was like the first guy I ever saw throw a sinker. Uh, I mean, in high school, I'm like, what, what is going on here? And he's just dicing up every team he faces, throwing 91. Um, he's prolonged his career. Matt Perk was obviously awesome as a prep. He, he had arm problems later on in life, but um, I guess those three guys were the most, they stood out the most in terms of just like, wow, they do something a little different than everyone else. So with you, you, you get into high school and eventually as a pro, you, you'd both hit and pitch at various points of your career. Did you have, did you have a preference as an amateur? You're definitely more known for your back. got drafted as a hitter. Was that your preference or did you like the, the both ways thing? Um, 
I liked pitching just because I was in control. Um, but I definitely always preferred to hit. I always viewed myself more as a hitter than a pitcher. Um, I pitched in high school just because it kind of seemed like everybody pitched in high school, right? Um, and like when I did the TUSA stuff or the summer stuff, pitching was never really an option. Uh, I think I threw against Team Russia one time and it like didn't go very well. I, 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 think, I think we were throwing a no-hitter going into the ninth. Uh, shutout, obviously. And the first pitch I threw, the dude hit like a double. And I'm like... Oh, man. Gave it up to the Ruskies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I always viewed myself more as a, as a hitter. Uh, and then it just kind of all unraveled a little bit in, in pro ball and the pitching background kind of popped in there. And that's where we eventually ended up. So in high school, what was your relationship as far as fanhood towards uh, USC baseball before, even before recruiting started? Huge fan. Uh, diehard, like USC football, everything about the school. Uh, I had a it was really, a good era for it. It was, it was about the only good era in my lifetime for it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we had a really close family friend of ours. He was one of my coaches when I was a kid. Huge influence on me, both on and off the field. Uh, he played at USC when they won the national championship back in the late 90s and eventually was a grad assistant, a volunteer assistant. So he was around the program a lot. And just kind of through him is where I really, you know, fell in love with the school and the program and, and obviously a fan of the football team and everything else that the school had to offer. Um, ironically, my wife ended up going to USC, even though I did not. Uh, so that was, that was fun. But so were you, were you the easiest commitment of their class that year then? Like how much work did they actually have to do to convince you to sign? Yeah, I, I think Cade Cruder was probably the easiest because Chad was, his, his father was the head coach. Uh, other than that, yeah, there was pretty much very minimal work. Uh, Chad came out to see me play my junior year I had a previous relationship with him I was friends with Cade I played with him a little bit as as amateurs and had actually played for Chad when he first got done playing um, he was coaching Cade's like 13U travel ball team so I would make the trip down to Southern California quite a bit and play with them uh, played for Chad had a relationship there with the family and like I said just my ties to as a USC fan it was pretty much a no-brainer for me in terms of committing. And uh, he came out came out to watch one of our games my junior year. Uh, we were talking after the game. I just told him, hey, there's no reason to like waste any more time. Like I'm just, You didn't you I, didn't play hardball? No, I just I verbally committed. He had he had kind of thrown offers around there and I verbally verbally committed in the parking lot after one of our games. So no uh, did you take any other trips or anything or was it just just laser focus? No, I did not. A uh, couple we traveled so much at Gorman, uh, in, especially in the summer. There were pretty much all the Pac-12 schools, some of the West Coast, uh, Pepperdine, USD, all those we hit. And so I got to see the campus, meet the coaches on all those, but I never took another, another official. Verbally committed my junior year, uh, took an official visit to SC my senior year, and that was my only visit. It's actually something I, it wouldn't have altered my decision, but I do wish I would have got out there and you know, experienced some more, went to, took all five visits, went to some other schools that had some interest just to see, you know, what all was out there. Picked up a little more free gear, couple, yeah, yeah, couple no dry fits, yeah. some, some stuff to tide you over. Right. Uh, so you get into your, you get into your senior year. Um, that's obviously the draft comes up big time. You know, once, once you, you're the next class in, 
as far you know the the big thing with you know the MLB draft obviously with high school guys assignability um how did you how did you view yourself with you know you have this dead set commitment on on USC as you're getting a little closer to June how how did you determine your own signability on what pro ball looked like for you? Yeah. Well, I think for me, a lot of it, and it's easier to say this now than it would have been, you know, 12 years ago. Part of it, I think for me was a bit of ego. Like I think anybody who, especially as a high school player, um, you have so much success and you know, you're on the cusp of, you know, moving on in your, in your profession and getting to that next level ego for sure plays a factor. And so for me, originally going into that, I I really thought like, okay, first round or nothing. Like if you're not a first rounder, money's not really the the issue. Like it's more of the status. And that obviously is not the right way to look about it. Um, That changed as we got closer to the draft and talking to my advisors and everything. And uh, eventually we came up with a number just based on my skill set where we thought I might, you know, fall somewhere in the late first to third round, just based on conversations we had had and, and everything else. So we came up with a number that we all thought was fitting for that and went from there. Um, I didn't end up getting the number I had put out there, but I got, we got very close. Um, we thought Tampa was a really good fit for me at the time and went from there. Was the number you had put out, like in your mind, was that an offer you couldn't refuse? Like, you know, certain certain amount of money, it's like it would just be not smart to refuse this? Or did you actually factor in, okay, it would be worth passing up the college experience for this, if that makes sense? Like, yeah. I, I feel like those are two different things as far as, you know, the amount of money, what the, what the money can actually do for you versus the the price you put on your college experience. Yeah. I think uh, part of it was my family worked extremely hard. They they worked very hard to get where they were at. Um, We went to private school. You know, we weren't rich by any means, but they were well off. They did. They worked, like I said, nine to five jobs my entire life. Um, Always putting in extra to make sure that we got to go. My sister and I do what we want to do away from school. And for me, that was obviously baseball. Um, So part of it wasn't necessarily like, it has to be completely life-changing money. Not that that wouldn't be life-changing money for other people, but it needed to be something like you'd said, maybe I don't want to pass up on this, especially since my experiences at Gorman and with the Team USA stuff in the summer, I felt I was as prepared as I could be for pro baseball, for a high school player. Like I I can't imagine anyone else was as, as prepared from their prior experiences. And so that was like a huge factor in finding, okay, this is a good dollar amount. It is really, really good money. I can live off this for a long time if everything goes haywire. And like I said, a little bit of was also talking to advisors, looking at, okay, what do high school, you know, first baseman get out of college? You know, if they're not going in the top 10 picks, what are they getting? So you obviously are giving up a little bit of you know, top end, if you go and turn into a Dustin Ackley or something like that, and you get picked in the top 10 rounds in three years. But if you're, if you don't turn out to be that, like you got the college experience, you're walking away with a lot less money. And like I said, just the preparation in my career for that, up to that point, I thought I was as prepared as I could be. How much did you look into scouting reports and what 
people are, you know, like scouts, obviously the, you know, like you said, the ego, the confidence that plays into it of, you know, I think I'm a very good baseball player I'm this, I'm that. And then you're also, I mean, you're a literal child basically. And people, you know, people talk about in BA, they talk about, you know, you had at that point, like a soft body, um, you know, will your power translate to pro ball, stuff like that stuff that putting doubts on, you know, an 18 year old kid, is that stuff, is that noise that you looked into, were able to process, or were you able to kind of keep blinders on as far as worrying about what people were saying about you as a prospect? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, I definitely read everything. I think <laughs> I think, I think, think most kids do. Um, it helped that I got out on the USA circuit and met all those guys and played with so many other great players. And so I had a feel of like what I could do. Um and saw, you know, their write-ups, my write-ups. And I, I guess some of it, like, I didn't work out until, like, I was, like, a junior in high school. Like, that's where, like, the soft body thing, it is what it is. I've always been a bigger guy. Like, uh, I could have done some more things better. And I wish, you know, earlier on I would have known more about, you know, nutrition and weightlifting and stuff that maybe maybe the, that stuff wouldn't have popped up on scouting reports as a, you know, 18-year-old but it did. And like I said, use it a little bit as motivation. Um, definitely when I got to pro ball, it helped me in the off season, like get into better shape and, and focus on fitness, especially early in my career. I think, you know, I know some of the raised strength coaches had kind of mentioned, you know, a little bit of a transformation there. Um, but like your frame is, is what your frame is. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I read it all. I, I knew, I thought that a lot of it was accurate. Um, I thought that the stuff that even if it was accurate, I knew I could improve, improve on some stuff, uh, the power potential with a wood bat. Um, so yeah, I, I used it all. Yeah. I mean, the only guarantee in scouting reports is that perfect game will always call you a good student. Um, <laughs> Uh, so walk, walk me through that draft experience because you have this number, you're kind of estimating third, fourth, you know, third, fourth, fifth round. It's not the hard slotting system to where if you fall out of those rounds, that money's almost definitely not showing up, but it's still, it's still a little more unlikely that you get paid the farther you fall. So what was, what was waiting that out? Like, especially, you know, day one, you go undrafted. Right. Yeah. So the draft, like you mentioned, was a little different then. I think, Day one was only the first round, I believe. Maybe maybe the comp mm-hmm. round as well. I think um, it was the first round on TV. If I yeah, remember. It, it, yeah, it was, it was on M- I think MLB Network. I think they may have had the comp round at the end of that, and then that was the end of day one. And so sitting there, we had some family over. Didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, wasn't really thinking it was going to be first round or anything like that. Was hoping for second, third, somewhere in that range. And then the morning... Uh, the morning of the draft, all the pre-draft stuff and like final mock drafts came out and there was some buzz that like the angels might take me at the end of the first. And I think baseball America might've had it. I know perfect game for sure had it and something else. There was like three of them. All the mock drafts had the angels taking me at, uh, I believe it was pick 24, 25. They'd back to back first round picks. So we're sitting there and uh, again, the angels it's, probably the best round of BP I've ever hit in my life at their pre-draft workout um, is at Angel Stadium and was just parking balls like one after another. And so I had a good feeling about it. I had a good relationship with all their West Coast guys. And 
Um, it was definitely the team I was most tied to at the time. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is maybe it's a possibility. Maybe I'm going to sneak into the back end of the first round right here. The round goes on and on and on. Nothing happens. Uh, you know, I'm sitting at home a little frustrated, but, you know, not totally unexpected or anything. Like I wasn't expecting to go in the top 15 picks. Um, it gets to the Angels. And uh, they take Randall Grishick first. And they take uh, Mike Trout second. And I had seen, I had played against Mike Trout in the USA circuit. And it was when he was still like super, super raw before. I know his senior year, he really like turned things around and blew up into like this can't miss hitting prospect, at least from some people's perspective. And at the time I was like, you've got to be kidding me like that guy yeah that, i swear that was my reaction i'm like they took this guy instead of me and i'm like I, he wasn't even at the pre-draft workout i had the best round in, of my life and that uh is the most ridiculous take i've ever had in my life like he's turned into arguably the best hitter of all time and i did not so um pretty crazy i guess that's my that's my frustrating slash weird draft analysis story but yeah so we got through day one and uh nothing happened and then the morning of day two um same thing that the second day started super early in the morning if i remember i don't think they do that now right it's 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 no, pretty much all yeah, they, they started at a, at a reasonable time i remember i was actually that year i remember i was listening to the draft tracker and i was i was working for my dad and it was like nine o'clock in the morning right yeah so so i think i probably just woken up I was out of school and uh, got a couple calls. Uh, agents called. There was a handful of teams that were willing to hit my number um, around, you know, third to fifth round. Not sure exactly when. And so it was just a little bit of chatter all morning. Um, it got to the point where they said, "Okay, Tampa's gonna if if New York or Boston don't pick you here, Tampa's gonna pick you in the fifth." and they'll come close to your numbers. So we think it'll be a good fit for you. So that, that was, that was obviously happy. It was a dream. It was a dream come true for me and my family to get to play, you know, eventually play pro ball. Obviously you had to go through the whole, you know, negotiating period and everything, but just to be drafted and, and believe that you had a future as a pro baseball player when you're a little kid. And that's, that's what you always, you know, strive to be. It was a pretty surreal feeling. So they didn't give you the call of, Hey, will you sign? If we take you, will you sign for this? It was still something you guys had to bang out a little bit because they ended up completely whiffing on their top two picks. So right. they had some money to play with. Right. Um, I knew that they were going to come close to the number. They were, they were talking with my uh, advisors at the time throughout the morning. Um, and so I think they knew, I think I was probably one of their more solid options in terms of signability. Uh, I think they knew that even if they didn't reach my number, if they got close enough, I was like a comfortable fallback option, knowing that there was some volatility with those early picks. Um, so it kind of worked out for both parties, I guess. You you sign with the Rays, and you mentioned like with your playing experience, you were as prepared as you you know you thought you could have been for pro ball. You played against all this talent. You'd done the Team USA circuit. You played for Gorman, all that stuff. The guys who had played on Team USA the year before, you're already in pro ball. Your Hosmers, your guys like that. Did you get any of the scouting report, not of what the baseball is like, but like, hey, man, these bus rides stink. These hotels are bad. Like, did you have any of the this is what life is like awareness? 
Uh, a little bit, but not not to the extent that I, I wish I would have known. Not that that would have changed my decision or anything. Uh, but like playing with those those guys obviously developed some sort of relationship. Not necessarily like the most lasting friendships that you would have with guys you grew up with. Um, and so that was kind of the the thing for me from my area. There weren't a whole lot that went before me. Um, a lot of my best friends all eventually got drafted. A bunch of them got to the big leagues they all went to college. And so there wasn't anyone that I was super, super close with that I could have, you know, leaned on for some of that information. Um, so it wasn't, it was still a bit of a culture shock, even though, like I said, I was prepared. I'd been out on the road. I'd, you know, been away from home for months at a time. Uh, it's still, I don't, I think any high school kid walking into that situation or it, it's a total culture shock. So when you would go back to Gorman and guys would talk to you about like, Hey, should I sign or something? Did you do like the Billy Madison thing of like, no, stay here forever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I definitely like, I, I kind of kept it real and told them, told them how it was. Um, it's obviously a grind. Uh, it can feel more like a job at times. Um, but there's also other just fantastic experiences that will stick with you. Um, so yeah, I just tried to keep that balance and tell them, you know, where, where things are going and, and what it's like on the road and what it's like at home and just the daily grind of being at the field all day. Before you got, you, you get a, you know, a small little pro debut signing year. Next year you go out to short season Princeton in the, the Appy league, RIP to the Appy league. Um, had you ever struggled at just at baseball in general before, before that year? No, I mean, as a, maybe as like an 11 year old kid, just like anyone else, you know, you have a couple bad tournaments and stuff spirals because you don't really know what you're doing. Um, but anything like serious baseball, I mean, I really had never struggled in high school. Like I just want to put context for the listeners. As a senior, you hit 564 with 17 bombs. I had a question I passed over earlier, just asking was baseball easy in high school? Cause like that's bonkers. And then you go to Princeton and it's not quite the same. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of it, like I said, I hate to sound corny, but a lot of it in high school was the system I was in and the people around me, the players around me. Um, it's easy to hit when there's guys always on base. Um, it's easy to have confidence when you're surrounded by confident players, really good players. Um, so that all just kind of helped build me up as a, as a prep. And then I got to pro ball and it wasn't that. Like, it was, that was the hardest year of my life by far um the furthest i was away from home definitely the most isolated i felt um princeton's not an easy place to get to from las vegas and, and my family made a trip out there but just you know we were living in a hotel all year even at home um wasn't really what i expected pro ball to be like at the time you know like i had all these great dreams and aspirations and and uh here i was in west virginia just like really 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 struggling um even to the point where like you know going back to the hotel i'm like dude what am i doing here like you're standing in the mirror like doing doing stride loads trying to figure out what's going on and it's like dude the, the game ended six hours ago it's 2 a.m like go to bed like what are you doing so what kind of hitter did you envision yourself being when you signed because like with first base bats got to carry you regardless you, right. you like no one's no one's getting to the big leagues as a glove first first baseman at this point but there's you know there's big boppers there's guys who you know try to hit 40 50 tanks and, and walk a little bit there's guys who are a little more hit tool oriented you still got to have the power where did you see yourself slotting in 
I thought I could be a little bit of both. Like I thought, like you said earlier, I had read all the, all the pre-draft stuff. Um, I knew where there were question marks with the power. And I thought I could improve that without having to completely like reinvent myself. I thought I could be an all around hitter. Um, it was just a matter of development. And it's probably something I wish I would have changed in my own mindset earlier. I, I, it, I kind of wasted almost a year and a half before I really started to change and figure out, okay, you've got to pick one. And it, it's probably something I didn't really fully embrace until it was too late. Uh, um, but you just kind of, you believe in your own ability. You think, okay, maybe there's maybe not too many that are, you know, a little bit of both. You're either, a contact guy that's hitting, you know, 330 and getting on base a ton and driving balls gap to gap, or you're, like you said, a big bopper. And that was something I wish I would have figured out earlier. Cause I just, i like I said, I, I believed in my ability. Like it was, okay, I'll figure this out. And a lot of it's trying to figure out on your own, not asking for help as soon as you need it. Um, pride getting in the was way. Was there any guidance in the system though? Were any hitting coaches telling you like, Hey Jeff, I think you're this, we're going to do, we're going to do this. I know with how the system works, there's a different hitting coach at every level. Plus you got, you know, your roving guys. Yeah. So the first year I signed so late and this is where, like, I wish I would have gotten drafted now with the signing deadline in the middle of the season where you don't completely waste a year that, that, that summer waiting to sign. I didn't really do a whole lot. I played a little bit with my high school summer team just to say, in shape and on the field. Um, but I, I played seven games in the GCL and a little bit of instructs. And so that whole summer was a bit of a waste. And I know certain organizations, I know Tampa had one, they have these rules in place where you're not supposed to touch certain prospects until X amount of days have passed. Because like those coaches obviously aren't the ones that drafted me. Uh, the player development system's not who drafted me. Um, so they want to see what they've got. And I understand that before they start just going and completely retooling stuff. And for me, I needed more guidance for sure. Like I, I didn't, I didn't get enough early, not to their fault. Uh, it's just kind of the way the system was set up. And by the time it came around, it was pretty much the end of that season. I like after Princeton, maybe even instructionally before I really like was able to, okay, what can we do to change? Like this needs to change. Like, like I said, the worst summer of my life. First time I've really, really dealt with failure. And it almost felt like my swing was so broken. It was like starting over from scratch. So that off season was it basically like, we're just rebuilding. Was that the first off season you actually had a, had a plan to change things? Yeah. I mean, the previous off season, like I said, going GCL into extended and things weren't like things went fine. So I just kind of, didn't really know what to do. I just hit and, you know, worked it out and did my thing and went to spring training and had no plan before that. So yeah, to answer your question, yeah, going into that second off season, it was the first off season that I ever had to like, the first step was like trying to figure out how to load. Like I didn't even know how to load. I, I hit, I kind of hit as a preset hitter in high school and there was a lot less or a lot more room for error, obviously. And that was one of my biggest problems in pro ball early on was I had no rhythm. I had no timing. It was just pretty much from A to B and balls moving all over the place. Like not going to find a ton of success. I was beating a lot of balls into the ground. Um, and for a first baseman to do that, who doesn't run particularly well, like 
bad combination. So even I remember being at home for like two months that first or the second off season and literally just like trying to figure out how to load, how to get some rhythm. Um, it was like baby steps that whole off season went into the next spring training, just trying to kind of build on whatever I did in the off season, went into extended spring training, same thing like that whole, it almost was like an eight month process of just trying to rebuild anything that assembled like uh, a functional swing that could like, you know, de deliver some power. And what are those off seasons like outside of baseball, especially your first few years, most of your friends are off at college or have been doing, you know, this, this life. What is, what is life like for the guy who's already in, in the working world in a different kind of working world? Right. Yeah. I was lucky just cause like I said, there, there were already some guys in Vegas. There were more established big leaguers that had moved to Vegas during their careers. Um, so the place I worked out, out, the place I worked out at, uh, Tim Soder physical therapy, Reed Johnson and Aaron Rowan had been going there for years. James Shields had been going there for years. So being around some of those guys in the off season helped a ton. Aaron Rowan kind of took me under his wing, showed me how to work out, how to, you know, grind through the off season. Uh, we'd hang Reed out. Reed Johnson and Aaron Rowan are both like chin beard legends. Oh yeah. Like uh, both of them. Absolutely. Weird combo there. <laughs> I mean, crazy, but just seeing the way those guys went about their business in the off season, um, while still being able to, you know, separate like, okay, we're going to get to the gym at 6 a.m., work out for two hours. We can go have breakfast. We can go play golf. We can go do this. We're going to go back and, you know, hit at the cages in the afternoon. So just kind of developing more of a routine and, and seeing guys that had such success in their careers, uh, those were really good guys to just mold a plan after. And each year it seemed like one guy or another that I had played with, whether they were my age or older, had been drafted out of, out of JUCO or college. And so – more and more guys were starting to trickle in and we eventually had a really great group um a couple years in of, of guys to hang out with um work out with hang out with away from baseball stuff the your first couple of years in in the in affiliated ball you were playing in short season you did uh you did both the new york penn league and appy league you ended up doing the pioneer league later as a pitcher I assume there were one of those leagues clearly better. The Rays were one of the teams fielding both a New York Penn League team and an Appy League team. Were there were there perks to both, or was one was maybe the New York Penn League maybe a, a little more ideal? Your numbers say that you know the New York Penn League treated you better. Yeah, no, it definitely did. Um, part of it, like I said, I think it was necessary for me to go through through some struggles in the Appy League, um, just to kind of refocus and think about what I needed to do uh, to have any type of success, not even just to get to the big leagues, just to, just to turn something around. And like I said, that whole second extended was a, was a grind. And I think I played every day, but one in extended, which is absurd. And I think I played every day, but one in the Penn league that year. So I think I, I played like almost a full, like 150 games or something crazy. Um, but that was, that was a really good time. Like I love, I love the Northeast just in general, um, being around New York city, being able to take the train into the city, uh, playing in Staten Island, playing in Brooklyn, going up to Lowell, like all those places, uh, the fan engagement and interaction is so great. Stadiums are full. That, that felt like my first taste of like, okay, you know, there's four to 5,000 people here tonight. Uh, the place is packed. Um, felt really like pro baseball. You had, you had really good competition. A lot of the guys that you were watching play in the college world series a couple weeks prior 
are now pitching against you or they're in the other lineup. Um, so once again, just kind of getting back to not that there's not talent in the Abbey League. There's plenty of it. Uh, it's just a lot more raw. And there's a lot more stories, I think, like mine, where it's just a struggle for, you know, 71 games or whatever it is. And that year in the Penn League was was definitely a refresher. Obviously, it was it was nice having some success, too. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Uh, I think you tied for the, the Penn League lead in home runs that year. So you do the Penn League, you start gradually progressing. You do a year in high A, it's pretty solid. Or you're in low A is pretty solid. You're in high A is a little more difficult. You know, you, know, you, you end up climbing, you're starting to climb the ladder. Are there, the ball doesn't fly in the Florida State League. That's kind of an obvious, an obvious thing. But as you jump up those levels from low A to high A to double A, are there noticeable differences that you're seeing in pitchers or is it just kind of a gradual, Hey, everyone's just a little bit better, a little bit better. Or are there, you know, in high guys, guys do a lot of this that they don't do in low A. Like are there big jumps or is it just kind of this gradual small steps? I think it's gradual jumps. I think, I think maybe the first month of the season is especially when, when you move up the way I did where it's just season to season, there's no mid mid season jumps. Uh, the first, first couple of weeks to a month, is the most noticeable. Um, but it, it, it's smaller stuff. It's more just more consistent around the zone. Guys know how to pitch more, uh, know how to use their off speed, uh, you know, in different counts and, and just their plan of attack is more advanced as you, as you move up. Um, that's, that's probably the best way to describe it. A lot of it for me too, was just like battling myself. Um, I feel like, in those years, even in the, in the Florida state league, I had some great months. I had some awful months. Like it was just a lot of it was putting too much pressure on myself. A lot of it was taking too many swings to where in August, like you're just exhausted, like going into the cages as great as the Florida state league can be because you're at the big league complex. You've got access to the, you know, all the big league facilities, the locker room, the cages, everything, you know, I was in the cages so much where I'm, I'm hitting, two buckets of balls right before the game for no reason when like um, my hands are bleeding, like, and it's just like, you could have, you could have done so many other things that would have helped prepare you for the game instead of just swinging yourself into the ground. And then it's like, you know, August rolls around, you've got no energy left. What's the feedback loop with coaching like at that point? Like, yeah. do you do you feel like you're kind of on an island? Like, are you in the cage by yourself doing this? Are you talking to the hitting coach? What is it? How you know? How does that kind of kind of go about? Because like like in college, you kind of get college or high school, you kind of you know, coaches know everything you're doing pretty much. Right. Yeah. And that, uh, so there there was there was still very good feedback. Uh, we would have early hitting every day with the hitting coaches. Uh, we'd always have some sort of lock in right before the game. Uh, but once again, that's just the extra stuff we had access. Like it's your career. You, you, you can do what you want. You want to go work out in the gym for two hours, go work out in the gym. You want to go hit, go hit, you know, like I said, we're at the big league facility. So we had a wall on the half field. You want to throw, throw balls to yourself and work on picks. You can do that too. Uh, that's another thing I think I struggled with a bit was trying to balance all of that and, and not overworking myself. You know, the old saying of working smarter, not harder especially when you've got a long season to get through. And ironically, I think the more I hit was when I struck, like I would have a bad month or be in a slump and I would just, like I said, swing myself into the ground and just muscle memory would load up on the bad habits I was doing instead of like 
you know, I'm locked in and doing really well. I'm not hitting near as much and it should have been reversed. Like, uh, and I know other guys that have had success reversing that where it's like, all right, things aren't feeling well. I'm done for the day. Like I've just got to go compete now in the game. And instead I would sit there and take a hundred extra swings and get into the box and feel lost. When you got into double A and you have, you know, probably your roughest season since Princeton, you know, you're still, you're only, you know, 22, 23 years old, still young. What are you, how are you feeling as far as your career momentum? Are you discouraged? Are you thinking, Hey, I'm one adjustment away. Um, you know, how do you kind of, you're, you know, you're far away from getting drafted, but you're not that far. That year is probably the best example of like a microcosm of my career. Um, first month was terrible. Started doing a little bit better. Got put on the Phantom, which was just total eye opener for me. That's um, that's a brutal life. Yeah. And I, I think like I had never even thought that was a possibility. Um, I didn't realize you, you get caught up in it. And, you know, I'm, I was past the point where I was a true prospect. But still, I think like that year, I think Baseball America might have preseason. I think they rated me like top power prospect in the system or something like that. And so I'm like, all right, like, we'll be fine. Just a little first month struggle. I've done it before. Uh, definitely an adjustment. To, to, that was probably the biggest ad- adjustment to pitching was high A to double A for me. Um, just getting used to different plans of attack and the way that guys were attacking. And so get put on the phantom, like I said, total eye opener. Like, what are you doing? first first reaction was to call my agent like well i need to get traded like what what's going on here and like ironically it was probably the, the best thing for me at the time because i was so lost again with my own swing had created bad habits was struggling at the plate and just kept compounding all that with extra work that i should have been focusing on other areas i should have been focusing on you know working out in the weight room maximizing that time that i wasn't active working on defense, working on other things. And instead I just went and swung myself into the ground again. And that wake up call kind of reverse cycle for me. Uh, I was on the Phantom for about a week. Uh, I think someone got moved up or got injured, came off the Phantom. And then just when I first came back, I remember all, all you have to do is compete. Stop working, stop worrying about mechanics, stop worrying about approach, get in the box, compete, stand on top of the plate, like just do what you have to do to find any success. And it worked. And I think I had a month where I hit like three thirty. Um, things were turning around. I felt good. Uh, power numbers were down, but I knew that, you know, like you said, I was a 23 year old kid in double A. I'm like, all right, worst case, I think I have more time, which I looking back now, another mistake was thinking you have more time. Like everybody tells you time's limited. There's always people coming behind you. Like take the most of every opportunity and not that I didn't, but you just assume, okay, like I said, I was kind of a prospect at that point. I'm 23. I'm still young for my level. You know, I can turn this around and if I have to repeat double A next year, so be it like not the end of the world and everything's going well. I'm hitting, like I said, I think there was a couple months maybe that I hit three thirty, and then back on the phantom. And I'm, I'm just at a loss for words at that point. Not, not really knowing what the plan was, not knowing where things were going to go from there. Like I said, again, get on the phone with my agent, what's going on. They don't really have answers. And I didn't do enough to take control of my own career. You know, I will tell anybody who ever has advice 
of how to handle your business. Be a man, go into, you know, the farm director or field coordinator, go into their office. They want to talk to you. They want to explain to you what's going on, but they've got, a, you know, hundreds of other guys that they have to worry about too. Their job is not to cater to you. And I thought, okay, well, if they have something that they want to go over or a plan, they'll come to me instead of just going in there and saying, Hey, what's the deal? Like, I know I can't get out of this situation, but like, where are we going with this? What's the plan? Is there a plan or am I just here and need to figure my way, figure, figure out a way out of this situation or take this time to improve, you know, my craft, my skills. When you're in a tough situation on the field or you're having a tough year, just you're, you're not living up to what you thought things would be like is, are you still able to take enjoyment in being a professional baseball player in, you know, stuff off the field? Like, you know, are there still perks of being a minor league baseball player or is it, does the, the on field, the performance overwhelm any other perk of the job? I I think there's, there's a little bit of both. I think guys that are able to balance everything and find enjoyment when things aren't going well, which I, I found later on in my career, Um, I wish I would have found that earlier because like that year, yeah, there was a lot of days where it just felt like a grind. It felt like a job. Like there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of enjoyment. There was no enjoyment when I was on the Phantom. Um, Just showing up to the field, knowing there's no chance I'm going to play tonight. I can't even be activated for five more days, even if, even if something did happen. So I'm just, you know, you feel like you're in purgatory and it, it's to the point where almost I'm like, just please send me down, like send me down and let me play every day. That would be better. At least then I could, you know, try and work my way out of any slump or any struggles and, and find some success on the field, but that's going to propel me to, you know, a little bit more happiness or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. Um, there are guys that really, really struggle with it. I was probably somewhere in the middle. Um, but I did let I, I let some of that affect me a little too much, and you're constantly. It almost feels like you're fighting yourself. Like, you know, like I said, there were, I remember a game and we we're in Jacksonville, Florida. It was a kids' day game. I wasn't active. I was on the Phantom. Kids' day. <laughs> those are, I, I interned. Those kids' day games yeah, are. <laughs> those are those are those are tough enough by themselves. Um, but to, yeah, to to compound it. I'm, I'm sitting on the fan and I'm not active and I'm like, God, I'm just going to go hit. Like that's, that's, that's how I'm going to fix this. I'm going to go swing more. And it's like, dude, no, you're just going to make it worse. So much worse. And it, I remember, you know, I'm in the cages by myself. I'm sure people are walking down the hallways and like, what's going on in there. I mean, I'm taking a bad swing and immediately slamming my bat and yelling. And it's like, go in, sit in the dugout, support your teammates. Like things will get better. Like there's, this is, this is pointless. So can you walk me through how you ended the 2014 season, a hitter in the Rays system and started the, the 2015 season, a pitcher in the angel system? Yeah. Uh, end of 2014, we're in Montgomery and our field coordinator comes up to me. And ironically, this was after my second, second stint on the Phantoms over had another great month. I think at the time I had gotten like still power was power was lagging, not what I expected it to be, but I think I'd gotten my average up to like 275. I think at the time I might've even been leading the team in, in average and was playing a lot more consistently, had kind of carved out my role, how to, 
how to deal with off days that I wasn't in the lineup every day, um, how to work on those days as opposed to days I was in the lineup. And everything was rolling really nicely. This was probably the point where, like I said earlier, like I'm like, all right, things are going well. I'm still young for the level. Not really a, a worry in the world. Like I'm doing better. Like, let's just keep this rolling. And they pulled me aside during BP and asked um, what my thoughts were of starting to throw some bullpens with our pitching coach. And again, it's just like world turned upside down. I'm like, dude, I'm like kind of raking right now. Why, why, why are we doing this now? And uh, so I wasn't really opposed to it. They told me, they told me take some time to think about it. And we talked before they left town and I said, okay, I'll do it. And I actually, it was the very first time I mentioned it, it got shot down right away. I said, well, would there be any chance of doing like some sort of two-way thing? And they said, no, we're not doing that. Like if you, we'll, we'll start throwing some bullpens on the side. We'll see what we want to do with you. And so the last like two to three weeks of that season, we were on a little rotation where I was pretty much playing every other day in the outfield and in between days, just throwing like light bullpens with the pitching coach. Um, so I'd go out with the pitchers, play catch, throw a pen, hit, hit batting practice with the hitters go in. Um, when you get back on the mound, is it kind of like, is pitching like riding a bike or did it feel completely foreign at that point? No, it was, it was like riding a bike. Um, I probably did some of it to myself because like we were always messing around playing catch before games or before, you know, BP and everybody's, I mean, you've seen them out on the field. Every, every position player thinks they got nasty stuff and they're all, they're all thrown to one another. And so like, I've been doing that for six years as a pro before BP, um, (laughs) Yeah, getting on the mound, it was kind of like riding a bike. Um, just right back on there, they pulled me aside, and said, "Hey, let's. We want you to come to. Um, we want you to come to Instructs again." And that was like my. I think that was my sixth Instructs at that point. Um, we want you to come pitch for a couple weeks, um, face some hitters. We'll see what we want to do from there. There was still there was still a lot up in the air. Like I wasn't really sure. Are they going to convert me? What's going on? I had one more year before minor league free agency. Um, Went and pitched it instructionally, did really, really well, and uh, got to work with, I mean, the one thing with the Rays, they've always developed pitching. Like, their their structure there, their, their um, coaches are incredible. Um, they've always done a really, really good job of bringing up pitchers. And so it was fun to be in that situation and learn from them for the few weeks, um, seeing things from a different perspective. Went home, still no guidance, like, what's going to happen? They called me uh, right around the time of the World Series and said, uh, we want to convert you full time. Again, I asked, like, is there any way we could do something as a two-way player? Like, I really want to hit. I've put all my time and effort into being a hitter. I still think that there's more I can give. And uh, it just wasn't something that they wanted to pursue at that time. Uh, They were gracious enough, though. They gave me the option. They said, if you don't want to do it, we totally understand. We're not going to force you to do something you don't want to do. And we will grant you a release, take some time to think about it. I did call back the farm director one more time, tried to ask for, you know, a two-way something. And uh, he said, no, we've, we've got other guys that we need it. We need to get them at bats. Totally understandable. Um, so they granted me my Just release. really a few years too early before that fat. Yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to be a trendsetter. It didn't work out, but um, yeah. So they granted me my release spent the off season trying to get a job as a hitter. And again, a lot of it was just going home after instruction league, not knowing where things were going. I had, I'd felt a lot better as the season had went on. Uh, I knew I was like 
close-ish to the big leagues, like finish the year in double A. I'm like, all right, you're not that far away. Like you can improve, you can, you're young, you can do things. And sitting at home watching the playoffs and watching these guys hitting the playoffs, I'm like, God, man, like this is what I want to do. Um, did you have any thoughts though of like, yeah, but I threw pretty well in instructs. Like, did you, did you think like this could be my ticket? Like, am I turning down my ticket? Yeah, for sure. And, and again, it went to, had a lot of conversations with my family, had some conversations with my agents. Um, ultimately it was like, you got to do what's best for you. No one can tell you like, you're the one that has to do this, right? Like no one, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a blessing in disguise, but also a good problem to have. Like a lot of guys, you know, when the time runs up as a hitter, they don't, they didn't have that opportunity. So that was another thing I had to kind of weigh in my mind was, all right, well, is this the end? Uh, do I have to now go to indie ball to prove myself as a hitter? You know, what are the options? And so, that, like I said, a lot of conversations, um, kind of wrestling with myself too, what to do. And ultimately I just chose, um, you know, you, you've wanted to be a major league hitter your entire life. You've put the work in, you've gotten to this point. Like, let's take a crack at it and see if there's anything out there. Um, looking back at it once again, like I don't, I don't have regrets necessarily like hindsight's 2020, but there's a lot of things obviously that I know now, especially after 10 years in the minors in indie ball and then a year working like as a scout, there's a lot of things I know now that would have helped me make much better decisions <laughs> like all of us. Um, so yeah, I went through that off season, a team called right away. I won't name the team called right away. Interested in me. Um, talked to my agent. I was supposed to get a call from their farm director. Uh, I was kind of like, Oh, this would be great. Um, never called. And so got past Man. the first of the year. Yeah. That was a tough one. Cause I was like, Oh, this will be easy. Great. Like new opportunity. Never got a call. And, uh, my agents said they had never seen a team behave like that before. Uh, it was unfortunate, obviously, cause got my hopes up, got past the first of the year, got into February and panic mode sets in like first year as a minor league free agent. Didn't really realize like, Hey, you can go into March and still get signed. Like you're not going to big league camp. Like there's no rush. And so I started calling around. Tim Huff was, uh, in the front office with the Rays uh, under their scouting umbrella, he had moved over to the Angels front office and I had a good relationship with him from back when I was an amateur being scouted by Tampa, gave him a call. He had some knowledge that like that I was pitching and everything with Tampa and instructional league. He made some calls to the guys over there. Um, and I eventually drove down through for them through for their farm director, Scott service at the time. And, uh, they signed me that day. And so the plan I thought was, had you been pitching that off season though? Like, were you working out as a pitcher or as soon as you left instructs, you'd like threw your pitchers pitching glove in the, in the bag. It was like, okay, let's hit. Yeah. I, no, I didn't, I didn't throw it all that off season. Um, I think a couple of days before I knew I was going to go down to Arizona and throw for them in February, uh, threw a couple bullpens just to get back on the mound, went down and threw. It all went well. And, uh, that was that, um, originally before that I had called Tampa back, not expecting them to resign me, but just hoping, you know, I'd spent my entire career there to that point. And, uh, they had already kind of shored up some of, some of those areas and brought in some other arms. And it's like, I mean, in my mind, I'm like, you already turned them down, dude. Like they're not bringing you back. Um, 
so then that's that's where like the calls to some of the other teams and uh eventually signing on with the angels that's where that led so you you'd been facing pro pitching for a few years so you kind of knew what a guy who could make it would look like how did you think you you stacked up once you started going out there and you know back in back in short season you know now you're 24 uh i thought my stuff was not good at all like <laughs> i threw low 90s i didn't really know how to throw a breaking ball and it just was i knew how hard hitting was um so for me it was like all right the original plan was you'll be a reliever like every other converted guy ever um you'll start an extended and Maybe hopefully if everything goes well, you can jump a couple levels because of your age and head to the Cal California league or something like that. Um, so that was the original plan. That's kind of where I thought things were going to go. And um, like I said, it was just more, it was more confidence in, in being around pro ball for so long and seeing what pitchers did to be successful and what hitters did to be successful and try to kind of, you know, mold that all into one approach and, like I said, I knew hitting was really hard. Um, so I just tried to attack hitters. What made sense to me as a hitter like that, that perspective definitely helped me more than my stuff did. Um, and then things kind of went kind of off the road again. I was throwing really well and extended. They called me into the office and I'm like, all right, cool. Must be, must be getting out of here. Um, they said they wanted to, they wanted me to start starting which I had never heard of a conversion guy starting before. Uh, I hadn't pitched in six years and I'm like, okay, like, yeah, we can try that. Uh, they thought that my strike throwing ability and whatever else led to like, if I could develop a second and third pitch, like that's where I'd have more success. Yeah, so, man. If you could just have two, yeah. you know, develop two plus pitches, yeah. you're in the big yeah, leagues. Two, two pitches you've never thrown in your life. Um, but, uh, so yeah, ended up starting and ended up staying and extended the entire summer as a 24 year old who had been in pro ball for six years and, uh, ended up, that's ended up in the pioneer league, uh, was piggybacking. We had a guy coming off of TJ that year. So I would just come in and pretty much piggyback him the whole time. Uh, ended up being like, not really our ace cause we had better prospects, but they got shut down later in the year and there I was starting game one of the pioneer league playoffs. Right. Riding Jeff to the championship. <laughs> yeah. So how do you grade that, that year as a pitcher? Like you've, you've had this, I guess, kind of surreal run. Like you didn't really expect that you'd be, you know, playing this year of pro balls, how you, you head home, I guess, after the season's over, like when you finally exhale, you're like, how did that go? Uh, I said, I never pitch again. Like <laughs> it was, it was, it was more just, like I said, I'd been, been in pro ball for six years at that point, And it just felt like starting all over. Like I'd already been through this, you know, I'd already been through this, the lower level grind and, and being a rookie ball. And it's like, you were in double a, your buddies that you were with last year are in the big leagues right now. And you're in rookie ball. Like, well, what are you doing? And uh, so again, it was another one of those like crossroads in my career that there was a decision to be made. Like I said, uh, I've kind of joked in the past, like, Oh, people are like, Oh, you can do both. I'm like, yeah, I'm like the, uh, uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. Like that's, that's a great example. And so I went home, drove home that night. We got knocked out of the playoffs 
uh, drove the six hours home from Orm to Vegas, got home at like 3 a.m. And I think by the end of the week was back in the cage, like hitting, thinking that I was going to um, turn it all around and, and uh, you know, talking to other people, what what's next. I knew I was obviously a free agent again. And there was a lot of miscommunication with the Angels at that time too. Um, Jerry Depoto had resigned during the season. A lot of the front office guys and coaches had, you know, went to Seattle with him or had moved on elsewhere. Um, and so it was kind of chaotic. Um, I actually even got a call. I eventually, I made the decision right away that I was going to try and hit. Um, I left my agencies, which I had known my agents since I was, you know, in the middle of high school. I had a great relationship with them. It was the hardest thing that I ever did as a pro was, you know, telling them I was moving on because they, they had my best interests. I didn't see it at the time. It was kind of that thing where these people are getting jobs. Why am I not getting a job? And I've had buddies that have been in that situation in recent years. And I'm like, dude, they're doing their best. Like, you know, they can't force a team to sign you. Like it just is what it is sometimes. And, you know, I, I regret doing that, but I also, it's for the first time, like I'd spoken earlier, taking my career into my own hands, it forced me to put myself out there and I no longer had anyone representing me. So I started just sending out emails myself, calling farm directors myself and trying to, you know, you know, get myself a job essentially. And before Thanksgiving, uh, Andrew Friedman was now at the Dodgers. He was obviously in Tampa when they drafted me. I had reached out to him saying, you know, I, the year as a pitcher, I thought gave me a different perspective. I think I can be a better hitter. Um, this is what I want to do. Yada, yada, yada. The next day, Gabe Kapler, who was the farm director of the Dodgers called me. We talked for a little bit that day, uh, talked for probably about an hour, went over everything, went over the last year, what my feelings were, what I thought I could do. And uh, I think by the end of the week, I had signed with the Dodgers as a hitter. A couple of weeks later, the Angels as a, as a hitter, as a hitter, um, spent that whole spring as a hitter. But so like, this is how chaotic the Angels organization was after that. Like it was just, and it's not anyone's fault. It's just, you know, regime turnover gets messy. And the last thing they're worrying about is a 25 year old free agent left-handed pitcher that was pitching in Orem. Um, but like, I think one of my trainers called me for the off season checkup, just to be like, Hey, how you doing? Are you doing all your workouts and stuff? And I'm like, Dude, I signed with the Dodgers as a hitter like three weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, one one could argue that the Angels in the in the past, like I guess, twelve years now, just sold their soul twice, yeah. landed two of the greatest talents of all time, and then have kind of just trying to trying to plan everything else by year. Right. Um. So you you signed with the Dodgers as a hitter. Congratulations, you're a hitter again. You're a hitter all through spring training. Uh, no abs that that summer. No abs that summer. Uh, I remember. One of the last days in spring training, uh, I was playing center field. Cody Bellinger was in right. Andrew Tolles was in left. And uh, that was probably the highlight of my outfield career. But Cap uh, pulled me aside last week of spring training. Um, that farm system's obviously for the past five, six, seven years has been crazy talented. Um, so many great young players. And 
at that point in my career, I'd been around long enough to kind of know writings on the wall, right? Like I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to Oklahoma city and I'm probably not going to Tulsa. So where would I be going? Um, so it wasn't totally unexpected, but Kat pulled me aside. Uh, we went for a walk at the complex uh, one day last week, spring training. And he just kind of laid it all out there. He said, listen, like, there's no spot for you here. Like not as a hitter anyway, if you want, we can try the pitching route again. Um, we're willing to do that. We can see what there is there. If there's any path there, take some time, think about it. You don't have to answer right now, but like he was very upfront. You know, I was grateful for that. Uh, there was no like misleading anything. And uh, so, yeah, I took a day or two, thought about it, came in, talked to him, said, let's, let's give it a shot again. That's fine. Um, you know, I want to do whatever I can to prolong my career. And at that point, like this has now happened a couple times. Right. And I'm older, uh, a little more mature. And I was just at the point where, like I said, I want to prolong my career. Like I want to do this as long as I can. I think I have more to give to the game. I'm not sure where it's going to go, but like, let's try it. And then you have arguably your best year as a professional. Yeah. <laughs> like, like after not pitching during spring training, you you're awesome in, in high a you're pretty I mean, pretty good in double A as out of the bullpen. Like what happened? Like how, how does that happen? Uh, yeah. I don't and know. like your peripherals are good too. It's not yeah. just like empty calorie ERA. Yeah. No, uh, I don't know. I don't have an answer. Um, I think again, just another year of being around the game, another year of, of obviously that, that year with the angels wasn't a complete waste. Like didn't, numbers wise didn't have a very good year um it was the pioneer league like there was there's a lot of factors there but i felt that i was better suited to get more advanced hitters out at least in the minor leagues not necessarily like going getting you know a big league lineup out but because i've been in, in around the game for so long had hit in double a that whole spring was around you know i was on the triple a team that whole spring just around, you know, guys with big league time and seeing hitters routines and what they do at the plate and how guys attack hitters. I just tried to kind of, like I said, my stuff didn't get any better. I just tried to, you know, use it in a different way. I didn't know enough about spin rate and stuff at the time. It was all like the beginning of a lot of that. Um, but I knew that pitching up in the zone wasn't like being done enough. Cause I knew as a hitter that, I, along with a lot of my teammates, couldn't hit it. So I just, I tried to elevate and throw in as much as I could. I threw a ton of fastballs and it worked. I think it, I think it was kind of just like you had the lefty coming in out of the bullpen. I had a little bit of attitude to me. I, I just thought I was better than whoever I was facing, even though my stuff clearly was not. Um, it was like some false confidence. And I just tried to throw the ball by guys at 92. Like that was literally my plan every night. You turn in that good season and then walk me through signing with the Rangers and their plan for you during that ensuing spring training. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, off season comes and goes. I, I assumed I would just resign with the Dodgers. I had a great year. I got, I actually got the AAA at the very end. Didn't pitch in any regular season games in Oklahoma city did pitch in the playoffs against Nashville. Um, a couple times out of the pen, just, uh, to face lefties. And so I just assumed like, okay, this is, this is going well. Like I'll probably just resign with the Dodgers and, uh, didn't, didn't happen. Um, 
they said, you know, they had other things once again, like left-handed relievers, not your priority in, in the minor leagues, right? There's other, other things you got to worry about. Um, which as I got older, I totally understood. Um, so they said, you know, we'll wait around. We'll see, it, you know, if we get closer to spring training and we still have a need, then yes, we'll be interested in signing you. But right now, like we don't have an offer for you. And so the off season kind of played itself out. Um, I had pitched all 2016 with a back issue. Um, and I don't know how much that had to do with anything. Um, the team knew about it though. And, uh, so the off season, just played itself out. We got late in the offseason again. Um, I'd reached out to Rick Knapp, who was uh, the pitching coordinator with the Dodgers. The previous year, he had moved on to work for MLB uh, in 2017 and uh, just said, hey, Nappy, like, what is there any is there any other contacts you have out there, other organizations? Like, you at least got to see me all year. Um, and so he had reached out to a few. The Rangers called me. And it wasn't like a traditional, hey, just come to spring training, like, we liked what you did last year. It was uh, Jake Diekman's out for the first half of 2017. Um, we are going to try and catch lightning in a bottle with you and some other minor league lefties and see if we can somehow replace maybe not fully his production, but essentially make a carbon copy of him. And if it all goes well, you could be in the big leagues in a couple weeks. And if it doesn't go well, then you're in the same spot you're in now. So I, I, I took a, them up on the offer, signed with the Rangers, uh, was not a big league camp invite, but showed up, showed up right at the beginning of, of um, big league camp with the JIT guys, the just in case guys, backed up a bunch of big league games um, and was just working on like a drop down sidearm crossfire delivery that probably isn't very well suited for a 6'3", like 235 pound man. But uh, we tried that and did that all spring and it just didn't really work. Um, a lot of my strengths, uh, control of my fastball was gone. Um, everything felt awkward, obviously. Um, Vila was way down. Um, just a lot of stuff that I thought, okay, if I can just translate my exact, uh, repertoire to this new delivery, all would be good. But obviously there was drawbacks from all that. Um, called me in right toward the end of spring training last week again, said, Hey, um, you're not going to make a roster. Uh, would you want to stick around and, and keep working on this in extended spring? And I just, you know, at that point, you know, I made another year old or another year in and I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to see if there's anything else out there. And you land in St. Paul compare like a weekend series in St. Paul because at the time, St. Paul Indie Ball, uh, now AAA for the Twins. But at that time, compare like a weekend set in St. Paul with the Saints versus the game atmosphere of just like a weekend set and like, you know, one of your minor league stops. I'm not going to single anyone out, but really any of them. Crazy. Like, I got there. I got there. So I went home, uh, waited around the first month or so, um, trying to figure out, okay, is anyone going to, you know, sign me? And uh didn't happen. So I, I went to St. Paul like, middle of the season and had missed the Kevin Millar home run by like a week. Um, so I had seen that on MLB network. I'd already talked to the manager a bunch. I had some buddies who had played there previously and they had talked about it up and I'm like, all right, sounds cool, but come on, it's indie ball. Like he kind of shrug it off. Like so many guys do. And, uh, and I got there and I'm like, dude, this is awesome. Like this is every night you're talking total sellout, like eight, 9,000 fans. Obviously now they're AAA affiliate of the twins. Um, 
but the city's so cool. The stadium's right in Lower Town. Um, great atmosphere. Um, and kind of back to like more of a winning mentality. You got a little taste of that, like at some levels. Um, definitely those few weeks I spent in, in Oklahoma City, you got a lot more of a winning mentality with older guys that, you know, wanted to win a championship. But so much of the minor leagues is, you know, predicated on development over winning. And uh, it's the opposite. Obviously, everything in indie ball is all about winning. Obviously, guys want to get back to an affiliate, but you got to perform to do so. And it's it's just so different. Um, really cool atmosphere. Really glad I did it. Yeah, the uh, that, that's kind of the the theme of, of this show is anytime. I, I don't think we've had a guy on this show who has played in indie ball have like a bad thing to say yeah. about the actual, the structure of indie ball and, and the atmosphere around. It. I mean, obviously there, there are drawbacks to indie ball, just like there are the minor leagues, but um, you, you do that year with the saints, you end up in Sioux falls the next year, you get to hit a little bit. And then um, what was kind of the linchpin in, okay, it's time to time to hang it up. Yeah, there, it was just, um, the hitting thing was, I think, some closure for me. Um, went to St. Paul, couldn't really get the velo up. Like, I think there was a few outings where I was, like, up around 90, but it was, like, in the low 80s, which was just wasn't good enough. When I went back the second year to St. Paul, I tried starting again. It was just kind of the same thing. I'm like, all right, if I'm not going to throw harder, maybe I can be an innings eater and get picked up, you know, go to double-A, triple-A somewhere and eat some innings. Didn't go very well. And in St. Paul, actually, um, George Samus was the, the manager there. He let me, he was awesome. He let me, you know, he knew my background, obviously, as a hitter. He let me hit VP all the time with the team. Um, there was even like a little bit of a moment where I was going to maybe do some two-way stuff at the very end with them. And they needed some roster space. I had like, had a little oblique injury I was dealing with. And the only... One of the drawbacks of, of the American Association is um, it's a great opportunity for young players, but it also caps older players with their roster rules and how many veterans you can have on a team and, and all that. And so anytime I was going to be a hitter, I would have counted as like an LS5 or a veteran. And so it would have screwed up like the roster space or something. And so they made a bunch of releases in the middle of the year. We just kind of amicably parted ways and uh, I went home. And eventually got a call. Some of my buddies had moved on from St. Paul. We're playing in Sioux Falls. Got a call there. They needed some guys. And so I got to go hit. And for me, like I said, I literally, I hadn't picked up a bat in like three weeks. I was hitting a little bit of BP in St. Paul. Went home and was coaching high school summer stuff and got the call. And it was just closure for me. Like I didn't, I didn't know for sure if I was going to be done, but I knew I needed to get that little bit out of my system. Um, I'm very grateful and lucky to have gotten that opportunity. What was, uh, what was your last dinger? Like my last dinger, uh, it was a bomb. <laughs> it was, I actually remember is at home. Uh, it was actually a game winners bottom of the eighth tie game. Uh, they brought in a lefty to face me. I swung at a slider that like bounced in the grass first pitch. And then I just sat on a slider second pitch and like smashed it. Um, that was That's a good one. Yeah. To go that was a good on. one to go out on. Uh, my last at bat, this is actually a fun fact. My very first at bat in professional baseball, it was in the GCL. It was against Daisuke Matsuzaka. He was rehabbing. And I got hit by a pitch. And my very last at bat in professional baseball was in Fargo, North Dakota. And I got hit by a pitch. Wasn't wasn't Daisuke well, that time. Was it definitely it? was not Daisuke, no. <laughs> um, so you, you hang it up. 
question I ask everyone, if you could go back, give your 18 year old self a pep talk, like on signing day, you put pen to paper and then you, you know, you go and you go into a room and there's 31 year old you, what does that pep talk look like? I would tell myself, you know, take more control of your career. Don't, don't sit back and, and rely on everyone else. Um, because everybody's got a job to do. And like I had said earlier, people can't always cater to one guy. They've got an entire organization they've got to worry about. And you've got the power to do, you know, whatever you put into your career. Um, you got to maximize that. And so, so much of my career, I kind of feel like in a weird way, I was a bystander or like a spectator, like watching my career unfold instead of just, instead of taking, taking the bull by the horns. I got a little rapid fire for you and then I'll let you get out of here. Yep. No worries. Favorite minor league ballpark. St. Paul does not count. You got to pick somewhere where you are playing Ooh, affiliated. That's a good one. Favorite minor league ballpark, Pensacola, Florida. Best pitcher you ever faced. Noah Syndergaard. Pretty good. Best hitter you ever faced. Probably Luke Voigt. Also pretty good. Is it better? So this is a question I'm going to alter. I've asked guys who have done both. Is it better to hit a bomb or strike someone out? I'm going to kind of amend that. Is it better to strike, like hit a bomb or strike someone out when you like embarrass them? Like you ball in the dirt, like you get them chasing, not just like a, a called strike three. I'm going to say hit a bomb just because I know like you're in control of that and striking someone out. Like I've swung at some terrible pitches when you're just lost up there. And it's like, you don't know what's going through that guy's head. Um, so I'm going to say hitting a bomb. What is the most underrated place to hang out in Vegas? Ooh, underrated place to hang out. Dino's Lounge on Las Vegas Boulevard. Dino's Old Lounge. neighborhood bar. Old neighborhood bar with good karaoke. Sign me up, man. Last thing, I, everyone gets this. It's my favorite question on this show. Do you have a nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues? I've heard, I've heard a lot of your other ones. <laughs> um, mine's not that. It's not necessarily a nightmare. It's more just like weird and quirky. Um, we've all had like the, the AC breaking down on the bus and stuff. We had one in the Florida state league. We were in Dunedin, Florida, last game of the series, just out of the range of like a commuter for us. Um, so we were staying up there and the hurricane was like hitting Florida and there was no rain or anything yet, but the game the previous night had been banged and like winds were just ridiculous and they were blown straight in from center. So both teams just agreed, like, let's bang the game. And it was at like one or two in the afternoon. It's only like maybe an hour and a half, two hour bus ride back to Port Charlotte. So we're all pumped. We're like, all right, cool. Off day the next day, like we'll get home. One of the bridges getting out of the Tampa area, there was a power line down across the bridge. We're like one of the first cars stuck behind it. And we were literally stuck on the bridge for like hours. We, I, we had all gotten off the bus. And at one point we were playing hacky sack, like in the middle of the road, it's just gridlocked cars on the, on the bridge. And we're just sitting there as like a hurricane's approaching Florida. And I think, I think the total bus time was, it was probably like seven or eight hours before we finally got home. Was there any worry that you were going to have to ride out a hurricane on a bus? Oh, for sure. Like, especially like a guy, a kid from Las Vegas who had never dealt with like severe weather before. Yeah. We were just like, dude, what, what's going on here? That qualifies as a nightmare. Jeff Malm, that's all I got for you. Thank you so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Kyle. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Big thanks to Jeff Malm for taking the time, walking us through his career. Really enjoyed that. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Rate and leave a review if you're on Apple Podcast or Spotify. And we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. 
Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.